Hi, hi. Fab fourth grade. You're listening to Three Keys by Kelly Yang. <clears throat> Read out loud. Who's got a little frog in her throat? By O.D. All right. We are on chapter 53, and it's page 232 if you want to follow along in the book. And we left off with a really positive uh, spot where uh, Mia had her her letter to the editor about freeing Jose, Lupe's dad, uh, published in the newspaper. And Mrs. Welch wanted a copy of it. And here's the last sentence from last time. As I handed her the newspaper, I thought, wow, if I can get someone like Mrs. Welch to change her mind with my words, then maybe, just maybe, Californians will do the right, Californians will do the right thing. And that's voting in the right way so that people, uh, people from other countries that are, are here illegally don't have to leave, especially kids not being able to go to school. Okay, let's get started. Chapter 53. My dad came to pick me up after school. He was taking me out to our favorite spot by the lake to celebrate. I'm so proud of you, he said, as we sat down on our favorite patch of grass underneath the big cypress tree. For getting published in the newspaper? I asked. I smiled, thinking back to last year when he gave me the sparkly green pencil, which I still had and encouraged me to write everything down. Not just for that, for helping your friend Lupe and not giving in to Mr. Cooper about the sign. It shows you have ye key. The crimson autumn leaves swayed gently above us. What's ye key? I asked. Ye key means loyalty. I hope I'm not mispronouncing that means loyalty, he said. It means sticking up for your friends. It's one of the most important Chinese values. You have it too, I pointed out, thinking about how he always went to bat for his immigrant friends. If I had a few drops of Yi Ki, my dad had an ocean of it. My dad chuckled. (laughs) That's right, I do. He reached over and patted my head. You may be becoming more American, but you're still very Chinese inside. I leaned my head against my father's arm and snuggled up to him under the warm sun. I hadn't realized I'd been waiting to hear those words until right then. Thanks, Dad, I smiled. Maybe being Chinese wasn't about liking red bean shaved ice or having serious chopstick skills, I thought as I looked out onto the peaceful lake Maybe it had to do with Yi Qi and all sorts of other Chinese values living inside me, just waiting to be discovered. My mother was waiting at the front desk when we got home. She was taking me and Lupe shopping to celebrate my being published in the newspaper and Lupe being on TV. And this time, my dad didn't stop her. Excitedly, Lupe and I got into the car. I thought we were just going to head over to the thrift store, but my mom said she was taking us to the mall. The trial's coming up soon and you girls will need something nice to wear, she said. She took her credit card out from her wallet and flashed it with a grin. We're going to JCPenney. Woohoo, Lupe and I shouted. It was about time I graduated from thrift store clothes. 
Of course, we headed straight for the clearance racks. As we were searching, my mom's old friends walked over. Long time no see, my mom greeted them in Mandarin. Where have you guys been? Oh, we tried to call you, Mrs. Zhao said, and the other wives nodded. I knew this was a lie. I personally manned the phones, and even if she had tried to call while I was at school, our new phone system would have recorded it. Still, my mom played along. I've been busy too, she said. You know how it is. The ladies pointed to Lupe. Who's she? they asked. And Lupe looked bashfully at them, poking me to translate. She's a friend of my daughter's, my mom replied. A good family friend. Mrs. Zhu raised a sharp eyebrow. You have a lot of these kind of friends, don't you? She frowned at Lupe. What do you mean? my mom asked. I only let my daughter hang out with other Chinese kids, Mrs. Lee told her. Me too, Mrs. Fang agreed. It's better that way. This isn't the United Nations. And she gave a little laugh. <laughs> I had heard more than enough. I tugged on my mom's hand, eager to leave. Forget J.C. Penny. I'd rather stick to my thrift shop. Mrs. Zhu sighed at my mother. Oh, I know you're fresh off the boat, so let me give you some advice, she said. If you let your daughter hang out with Mexicans and Blacks, she'll su-hui. Su-hui means learn bad in Chinese. And as soon as Mrs. Zhu said that, Mom burst out laughing. <laughs> then she looked straight at the three ladies and said, the only danger my daughter has of Su Hui is if she hangs out with these, with you three. And she grabbed my hand and Lupe's. Come on, girls, let's shop somewhere else. We were just a few steps away, though, when my mom suddenly remembered. Oh, and that man you saw me with? His name is Hank, and he's one of the finest people I know. Any of us would be lucky to be married to him. Mrs. Lee made a disgusted face. Clearly, you've been hanging out on the wrong side of the tracks, my friend. And my mom laughed again and said loudly in English, You're not my friend. You're filled with toilet paper, just like the fake shopping bags I used to carry. And Lupe and I giggled. <laughs> I couldn't believe my mom was saying all these things. Go, mom! And just as we were about to walk out, I looked back at Mrs. Zhu's, Mrs. Lee's, and Mrs. Fang's appalled faces, and I stuck my tongue out at them. My mom might have bright red lips and a new credit card, but deep down inside, she was still the same person. And I smiled. Clearly, Dad and I weren't the only ones with Yi Ki, which remember means loyalty. Chapter 54. The sky on election day was stained with smoky gray clouds. After school, Lupe and I sat glued to the television. By the early evening, I could feel my eyeballs starting to melt. Lupe's, because they're staring at the screen so long, Lupe's mom called to tell Lupe that no matter what happened, it was going to be okay and to have faith. But by the time the moon rose high above the big Calavista sign, 
all the television reporters were saying Wilson was going to win. I shook my head. That can't be right, I said. What if it is, Lupe asked, walking over and staring at the numbers up close before finally switching off the TV. I had been telling myself there was no way that Prop 187 was going to pass and looking for little signs to support this belief. And there were lots of little signs, like my letter being published in the newspaper, Miss Patel agreeing to help Lupe's dad for free, the protesters outside the county jail, all the people at the march, and Mrs. Welch turning into a surprisingly good teacher. But there were also lots and lots of signs that it would pass, like the poster at the pool, the flyers under the doors, the graffiti on the wall of the grocery store, the scribbles on the wall outside the bathroom at school, and the list of hate crimes as tall as our Calavista sign. We had heard on the news that if Prop 187 passed, there was going to be a lawsuit. And I reminded Lupe of the powerful word appeal and what had happened with my mom's credit card rejection. But she shook her head. This is different, she said. If it passes, Pete Wilson's not going to let the voters down. The phone rang. Tomorrow was moving day for Jason's family, and he called to ask if he could come if I could come over and help him pack. I knew I should stay with Lupe through election night, but I also knew how stressful moving was, having done it a million times myself. Hey Lupe, do you mind if I go over and help Jason move? I asked. She shrugged. Sure, she said. I can hang out with Hank. We won't know the results until tomorrow anyway. When I got to Jason's house, Mrs. Yao was in the living room, instructing a team of packers how to wrap carefully how to carefully wrap up their expensive art. And there were boxes everywhere. Oh, hi, Mia, she said, putting the jade vase she was carrying down and looking slightly embarrassed. Hi, Mrs. Yao, I stood there awkwardly. Do you need any help? One of the movers came in and announced, Ma'am, you're not going to be able to fit all this in your new house. Why not, she asked, shaking her head curtly because it's half the size of this one. Mrs. Yao's face turned steaming red, like it did the day at the motel when she yelled at Jason for picking up feathers. It's none of your concern how to make it fit, she said, jabbing a box with her manicured finger. You'll do as I say and pack it all up. I went to go find Jason. He was in his room, buried in a fort of Nerf guns, Legos, video game consoles, books, and clothes. His head poked out when I knocked. My mom says I can only take three boxes, he muttered, and then curled his body into a ball again and shrank down into the fort. I looked over at the three empty boxes sitting in the corner and then at the mountain of stuff. I don't know how to decide, Jason admitted from his hiding place. I want to take it all. I recognized the fear in his voice, the worry that if he didn't take every single thing, a part of him would be lost forever. I walked over and squeezed in next to him. You know, I said gently, when I first moved to America, 
All I could bring was a tiny carry-on suitcase. I had to fit all my belongings into it. Jason looked up, chewing his lip. Really? I nodded. How'd you do it? He asked. I put a finger to my chin, recalling. Well, I played a little game called, if you were stuck on an island and you could only bring one thing, what would it be? Definitely the joy of cooking, Jason decided, which is a book. I gotta have my recipes. I smiled and I spotted the big cookbook in the pile. I picked it up, walked over, and I put it inside one of the empty boxes. Then I asked Jason to pick one more item. He chose his chef's card from the cooking class, and then his video game console. Then he picked up a gold watch his dad had given him. This was my grandfather's, he said, handing it to me. It's really special because he bought it with the money he made from running a Chinese restaurant. My dad called it sweat money. I looked down at my own t-shirts and shorts, wondering if they were bought with sweat money too. I almost wanted to smell them. And did, did that make them less cool or more? More, I decided, because it meant we took extra care of them. Carefully, I wrapped up the watch in tissue paper and put it into the box. What else? I asked Jason. We kept playing the stuck on an island game until all three moving boxes were packed. When the last one was sealed, we looked at all the toys and books and junk that hadn't made it. There was still a sizable toy pile in the middle of the room, enough to entertain a small village of kids. What do I do with the rest of it? He asked. Why don't you bring it to the motel? I suggested. I bet some of the immigrants' kids who come on Wednesdays would love this. Great idea, Jason grinned. Let's get some more boxes from the moving guys so we can pack them up. I beamed. As we walked out of his room to get the boxes, I spotted Mr. Yao in the living room. He was sitting on the cold, bare marble floor, the couch having already been wrapped and moved. In his lap was a thick stack of bills, and his fingers were punching numbers into a calculator. He looked so small. It was a sharp difference from the first time I saw him in this very room, sitting atop his throne, oozing opulence and power. As I watched him, I started thinking about the two roller coasters again. I had been so fixated on going from the poor one to the rich roller coaster, I never thought about what it would be like to go the other way around. Mr. Yao caught me staring at him and snapped. What are you looking at? I, uh, I was just wondering, did you vote today? Sure, I voted, he said. And with a smug face, he announced, I voted for Wilson in Prop 187. Of course he did. Even when he was down, he somehow managed to kick someone else. How are you guys doing at the motel? He asked. Good, I told him. Well, I wish I could say the same for me. And as he turned back to his bills, Mr. Yao let out one of those exasperated sighs. <sighs> My dad usually reserved for unflushed toilets in the guest rooms. It was almost enough to make me feel sorry for him. It was late when I got back. Lupe was already asleep. 
My mom said Lupe didn't want to stay up to watch any more election coverage. I didn't blame her. She had just talked to her mom on the phone and gone to sleep. The motel was eerily quiet that night. The air, charged and heavy, sent the few customers hanging out in the parking lot back to their rooms. Every so often, I fought the urge to turn our TV on to see who was winning, but I made myself go to bed early too. As I crawled into bed next to Lupe, I closed my eyes and whispered, Please don't let Prop 187 pass. I woke up the next morning to bright, blazing sunshine and chirping birds. It felt like it was going to be a good day, the start of a new chapter. I glanced over at Lupe's bed. She wasn't there. I jumped out of bed and threw on a sweatshirt, and as I turned the doorknob, I hesitated for a second, readying myself for whatever news awaited me on the other side. It's going to be okay. No matter what happened, it'll be okay. Positive self-talk right there. But nothing in the world could have prepared me for the sight I was about to see. Lupe was in the kitchen, bent over my mom's lap, crying. Her knuckles were in her mouth, and the newspaper was on the floor. Proposition 187 had passed. And you know what that means. Lupe won't be able to go to school with Mia. Yikes. Chapter 55. The loud telephone ringing echoed in my ear. I walked over to get it, still in a daze of shock. It was Mrs. Garcia reminding Lupe to stay home that day. Even though the news was saying that Prop 187 wasn't going to go into effect right away, Lupe's mom insisted it was too risky to go to school, and my mom agreed. So Lupe stayed with Hank and my parents, and I walked to school alone. In class, I stared at her empty seat while Mrs. Welch took roll call. In addition to Lupe, Hector, Rosa, and Jorge were also absent. Stuart raised his hand and immediately asked whether this meant they were undocumented. And Mrs. Welch snapped at him. That is none of your concern. It was, though, the concern of a majority of Californians. In the end, it wasn't even close. Wilson had won by 15 points and Prop 187 passed by an even larger margin, 60% to 40%. I mean, 60% in favor of it, 40% voting no. 60%. That was how many Californians had no problem pulling Lupe out of school. At lunch, I waited for the Kids for Kids Club to show up to the trailer classroom. Most were absent, though. And the few who did come, once they saw how few people there were, left and went back to the cafeteria. I sat alone in the empty trailer classroom, trying not to think this was it. The club I had started was gone. The door opened and I looked over. It was Jason. Where's Lupe, he asked. I have to tell her something. She can't come to school anymore because of Prop 187, remember, I said. And just because I was so mad and frustrated at the election results, I threw in, thanks to your dad, Hey, that's not fair. I crossed my arms. Well, he voted for it. Yeah, but he's one person. 
Still, I muttered. Jason threw up his hands. You know what? I came over to say that I told my mom what she did to Lupe and her mom was not cool. But I'm starting to think it doesn't matter what I do. You guys are never going to separate me from my parents. He walked out, banging the door, leaving me all alone with my soggy corn dog. I wish Lupe was there to make me feel better. But as I looked around the empty trailer classroom, it felt like the first day of school all over again. And I didn't know a single soul. And we're going to stop there for today. Thanks for listening.